Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. We're going to, there's the message uh, for the next four weeks. And uh, uh, somebody sent me an email this morning, and uh, it was a good email. Uh, one of our older uh, members that uh, isn't able to come back to church live yet, and he was saying uh, a little bit, which is absolutely true, the leaders have time to ferment a vision, and then it gets spilled on the people. You've got to give time for the people to absorb the vision. It's absolutely true. So last week, we had uh, Christian with us here live, uh, speaking the vision message for 2021-22, uh, which actually went out also online, and um, Belper and Mansfield used the online message also so it went right across the campuses last week and we felt as a leadership team that we needed to do exactly that we needed to just underscore and undergird the vision and look at the various uh, four points that were laid out so people are going to come over the next four weeks and share a little bit of that and help us all to keep moving forward with the vision of Arena Church. Let me just put up a couple of verses that you know very well uh, that just really sort of move us on in terms of uh, vision. Proverbs 29, 18 in the New International Version, where there is no revelation, in other words, the inability for people to see. I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. And uh, one of my little things is that we have some people in the church generally that claim to live in Revelation and almost everybody else gets pushed away from Revelation. We're all called to live in Revelation. The ability to see what God is doing and wants to do. I love the verse that you brought, Kev, this morning. Because out of what we're emerging from nationally and uh, globally, it is true that God is wanting to do something internally and with the community of believers called the church. If we don't have that ability to see, we cast off restraint and... Uh, Christian was here last week, wild west in it and all sorts, you know, with wild horses. But that's what we do. And then in the King James Version, which some of us grew up on, and as somebody said, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for me, uh, even though he didn't have the King James Version. But it, 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 it didn't happen until 1600 or something, you know. So, but people get fixated with, it is a glorious piece of literature. There's no doubt about it. And even now, uh, memorising, I quote from the, K, the King James, because, I, you know, anyway, there we go. But where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. So here's the four things that Christian outlined last week, that week by week during May, we're going to look forward to people, presence, power and provision. I'm so glad we're starting with people, and I'll try and explain why. Over the next few minutes, Chad's helping me, as you can see on the screen. And we do this because we want to communicate. And we want to seek every week to try and lay something of the word into you. People like to receive just by sitting back and listening. Other people like to take notes. Other people like to look at the screen. Other people like to go to their Bible uh, to check off the verses However you're receiving it, just let the word of God wash over you. I was in a small group this week and we were talking about the power of the preach word to change us. And so 
right now in this moment, I know you'd probably say, well, you would say anyway, you're the preacher, but there is something that is happening in God right now as the declared word goes out to the people, not just in this context, but all across the nation and all across the earth. Literally, things can shift in our internal world right now as we let the word of God just wash over us. So however you're receiving it, just let the word touch you. And this morning, we're going to try and wrestle for a few moments with this thought in the vision regarding people. We've got some people in the room. And I'm looking around, and it seems like everybody's breathing. And uh, at the moment, anyway, everybody seems awake as well, which is good. But people, this is so important. So two verses, or rather one verse with two different uh, in, uh, translations of it from 2 Peter chapter 3. And verse 9. Now, let me just give you a little context for this because 1 and 2 Peter are books near the end of the New Testament, and they were written to people that were being persecuted for their faith. The, the scattered, what is known as the diaspora. And so, Peter the apostle writes to them to encourage them to hold their ground, to be steadfast, because Literally, some of them were being routed from their houses and the towns and villages they lived simply because they believed in Jesus like we do. By the way, in 2021, that's still happening. The 70 nations in the earth where freedom is compromised in some way or other simply because people believe in Jesus Christ. Obviously, different levels of that. But even today... People face specific opposition for the gospel. So Peter's writing. Also in the New Testament, there was a lot of talk about the day of the Lord, the Lord Jesus coming again. Now this church emphatically believes in the second advent of Jesus, just like the first advent which we celebrate at Christmas. One day in God's purpose and time, we're not called to second guess it. We're not called to pour over every day. Is this another sign? We're called to live in the light of it. And of course, during this past 15 months, there's been all sorts of stuff on the internet about the day of the Lord, etc., etc. And I, I think it takes us somewhere at times that we're not meant to go. Because uh, people were scoffing. That means you weren't eating a lot. It means you were mocking. You were mocking and saying, well, when is Jesus coming again? Bear in mind, we're only 100 years here from when he rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. You keep saying Jesus is coming. And they scoffed, they mocked. <laughs> and in this passage, we're reminded that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as a day, which reminds me of a, a, a joke or a prayer once when somebody was saying to God, God, how much is a million pounds to you? He said, a penny. And uh, uh, he says, and how long uh, uh, is, a thousand, is, a, is a, um, a, a thousand years to you? He says, a day. And so the guy's thinking it all through, thinking, how can I get rich? Uh, sorry, it's... How long is a thousand years to you? And he said, a minute. So the guy's thinking of a, a get-rich-quick prayer. And he says, Lord, give me a million pounds. And God says, wait a minute. And uh, <laughs> he checked his motive, you see. So when's he coming? 
Well, the Lord is not slack in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then that verse again in the common English version of the Bible says, the Lord isn't slow to keep his promises. Some think of slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all people to change their hearts and minds. I'll come back to it a little bit later, but I think one of the main reasons that Jesus hasn't come again to the earth is that he is incredibly patient with people. He wants people to come to know him. He wants people to have a change of heart and mind. Now, people, they're what make church work. One preacher once made a play on the 70s classic, You Are Always On My Mind. It would be Christian but going to his Elvis impression there, not me. But, 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 um, but the, the preacher says, it's not you are always, but people should always be on our mind. And they really should. And I think you'd recognise that in Arena Church, in the different things that we try and do, whether it's a Sunday church in terms of ministering to people, whether it's community projects, whether it's, it's reaching out to the different age streams across our church. And we have ministry right through from kids, right through to seniors, successfully and fruitfully. The reason that that's motivated is people. It's not systems, it's not computers, it's not organisations. All of that's needed to make it work. But it's people that are always on our mind. Church, Christianity, the faith is all about People, their relationship with God and their relationship with others. It's so obvious that it just hits us in the face. Question, why is it at times that the church, using the general sense, begins to get to a place of forgetting about people? You may say, really? Really? It forgets about People. I was involved in, uh, from the empowerment of this leadership team, Sharon and me were involved in seeking to bring a sense of repurpose to a church in another city uh, for a couple of years. And um, this church, as was mentioned last week, was the foremost evangelistic Pentecostal church in the United Kingdom in its heyday. And I had people in my watch saying, we don't want any new people to come to the church. That's where it went to. Because without seeing, people cast off restraints. And all of a sudden, the thing that makes the church, people aren't bothered about. In other, in other words, we're in, but we're not bothered about anybody else coming in. And by the way, if you draw a circle around the greater conurbation of where that city was, there were 3.5 million people. And if I can say it bluntly, when we take the response that we're okay because we're in, and we're not bothered about anybody else. We're saying to hell with everybody else. But God's not willing that any should perish. But all should come to a change of heart and of mind. So how do we get there? Well, I'm going to give five things. This is the message before the message. But don't worry, we're going to finish on time. But five things that push back on vision for people. Chad's going to leave them up there. I'm going to make a comment or two. And let God deal with your internal world. 
Because if you're glad that you come to church, but you can't be bothered about whether anybody else comes or not, you've lost the vision. And the vision of this church is that we are passionate about people. We want the people that come to be blessed, and we want the people that haven't yet come to be saved. People are always on our minds. And so five things where we can, if we don't deal with these, we lose the vision. And even though we say church is about people, we're not really bothered about people anymore. Number one, tradition. Now, please, there are some good traditions in the church. It's not a case of pushing back on every tradition. There are some good traditions that we celebrate as a nation. You would develop traditions in your own family, maybe around Christmas time, Easter time, holiday time. There's certain things that you do that are blessed, that, that, that uh, draw you together and that are a great threat. So there was a debate in the 70s and 80s about the trads and the rats, you know, the traditionals and the radicals. And there's a sense where we can be both because there is a radical call to follow Jesus. But there are things also that we need to hold dear to. The tradition of gathering on a regular basis, that's good. The tradition of praying regularly, publicly, that's good. The tradition of the Word of God being ministered to me, that's good. But tradition, when it gets in the way of what God wants to do, is bad. In other words, when something that is not really important becomes important as a custom in the church and so gets in the way, that's not good. A.W. Tozer, one of the great prophets of the 20th century, says, here's the seven words of a dying church. We've never done it this way before. We've never done it this way before. Christian, we've got another letter. We've got another. We've never done it this way before. No, that's right. God's always taken us on into fresh ground. And when we allow tradition simply to hold us in place and get in the way of the new, we push back on people. Number two, introspection. Mine, 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 my seat, my chair, my ministry. We're in, but we're not too bothered about anybody else coming in because it threatens mine. I, make, I don't make this story up, but uh, going back over 10 years ago, I went out. I did church in Arena Ilkeston in the morning, and then I was out ministering in the, in the afternoon, evening, and a guy came with me, he says, can I come with you? He was a big guy. Some of you, if I mentioned him, would know. A very big guy. We went to a church in, uh, in the Peak District. I'll, I'll save the church, and he was up there. And uh, he's, this, youth, this is where Adrian Plass and Jeff Lucas get all the material from because they're actually comedic observers of what happens in life. He sat down in his seat. This woman came up to him and says, hey, Shift. Move. That's my seat. And he stood up, you know. I mean, he could have swatted her away like a fly. Thankfully, he, he graciously responded and said, oh, I better go and sit somewhere else. This is in a Pentecostal church in the 21st century. Hey, that's mine. That's mine. Introspective mine. Mine, mine, mine. 
That woman wasn't bothered by anybody else from their town coming to, into their church because they might sit in her seat. And so you can take it wherever you go. Number three, disruption. Proverbs 14.4 says, where there's no ox in the stall, the trough is clean. In other words, people create a mess. Oh, wouldn't it be great if everybody that got saved didn't have an issue, didn't have a problem, didn't need prayer, didn't need help. But when people come to the church, when there are oxen in the stall, the trough isn't clean, it's messy. And if you want a clean stall, don't believe for new people to come to the church. I laugh because... Um, there are many expressions of church nowadays, and one of them is messy church. Now, I get it, you know, in terms of it's, uh, it's trying to drive down to a sort of like a kids-orientated group, and folks are sort of painting on the floor and whatever. But the reality is, every church is messy. Every growing church is messy because it brings people with their journeys, with their baggage, with the need to redemptively find freedom. Here's what Eugene Peterson said about this uh, in a book that he wrote. And bear in mind, Peterson not only was an incredible writer, the writer of the Message Bible, but he was a long-term pastor as well. And he said these words. He says, pastoral people ministries like farm work. Like... It involves cleaning out the barn, mucking out the stalls, spreading manure, pulling weeds. If you expect to ride round on a glistening black stallion in daily parades, letting some lackey do the hard work, you will be severely disappointed and horribly resentful. Whoa, that's a pastor speaking. It's messy. There's disruption. We've got Christine at the back. Christine, I don't know how many years... This carpet lasts about four or five years and then it has to get replaced because people pour coke on it and spill tea and whatever they do. And it's messy. And so we look at it after four or five years and we've got a lovely carpet at the moment because nobody's been coming. <laughs> Hallelujah. We've got another year, Christine. But the carpet needs replacing, the chairs need replacing, the walls need painting. And I'm looking at Anne and Neil. These people have painted the walls of this church more times than you would ever, ever know. Why? Because kids go, oh! And of course you get churches saying, we don't want kids in the church. Why? Because they're messy. And that's why we say repetitively from this platform we love kids you know when our two little ones come from Manchester and they've not been for a long time you know but you know watch watch the wall <laughs> yeah. Caleb's you know he didn't get to the toilet in time you know I'm not saying to our Miriam they're not coming anymore okay they caused a mess they're not welcome. They're not coming anymore. Because we put up with the mess for the joy of also what's happening in people's lives. And when we say to people, you don't have to come to church to be perfect. You need to come just as you are and then let God move in you. We mean it. We mean it. For disillusion. <clears throat> Here's what uh, one pastor said. 
When I was a pastor at Bible school, I was taught that local church is neat, tidy, and generally civilized. In in reality, I've found on occasions that it's never neat, it's barely Christian, and at times very uncivilized. Ooh! (laughs) He's been on the end of some pain. I was listening to our national leader of Assemblies of God, the denomination we belong to, Glyn Barrett, last year, a wonderful man of God. Sorry, Glyn, I can only remember one phrase that you mentioned in the message. I can't remember anything else, and I'm, I'm good at messages. I freak people out at times when they've come to the church and I've told them what they preached when they came five years ago. I can see them there, oh, I've got that one for this morning. You know. <laughs> but here's what he says. We need to be impervious to offense. That word impervious is don't allow any entry. One of the things we don't allow to steal in arena is offense. And it's so easy to get there. He said that to me. She said that to me. I can't believe they did that. Be impervious to offense. Otherwise you'll get disillusioned and stop loving people. And number five, exhaustion. Exhaustion. Galatians 6, 9. Let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm not talking about exhaustion. You've been out on a run. Or you've been playing football. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about internal exhaustion. Where you've reached out to somebody, where you've blessed them, where you've sat with them, where you've encouraged them, where you've prayed with them, where you've poured into them, and they bag you. And you're going to have to learn to deal and navigate ingratitude. Remember the 10 lepers that said, got healed by Jesus, only one went back and he was a Samaritan. I reckon that's about a decent percentage, one in 10. One in 10. Sometimes people won't say thank you for the fact that you didn't get into midnight listening to their issues. They won't say thank you that you're praying for them every day, that they'll make it in God. And the reality is you have to deal with exhaustion. You have to to understand that God doesn't want you to get internally tired. I've spoken to a lot of pastors over this last year. All sorts of people, not old people just like me, but young pastors in their 20s, 30s. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm feeling so tired. They're not tired physically, but the challenge of the pandemic, the challenge of pastoring, the challenge of ministry, the challenge of keeping church on, on track, the challenge of the offerings coming in. They felt tired. And if you don't deal with exhaustion, you'll stop loving people. And you'll lose the ability to see what God wants to do. That's why with vision, we need to be renewed and revived and and reinstilled and revitalized. Because God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish. And if I can say so, so is Arena Church. He's not willing that any should perish. People are always on our minds. Now, in the closing moments of the message, I'm going to give you very briefly four pictures regarding people that we find in the Bible. And the first one is that people are sheep and therefore need direction. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. In Matthew 9, it says, Jesus had compassion on them. He saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. And in that verse, which I've curtailed a little bit, it talks about the people being harassed 
and helpless and directionless. If ever we've got a society that is sheep without a shepherd, this is it. We've got all the mod cons. We can connect with people all around the world. We can have access to every bit of information that we need. But people are wandering. People are lost. People are harassed. People are helpless. People are sheep without a shepherd. And I, I've been really, really irritated in recent years when from the platform, we've had, not this platform, but the platform of the Christian church, pass, leaders, supposed leaders, bagging the gift of the pastor, the shepherd. Interchangeable word. The only time Jesus is called chief, good and great is regarding his pastoring. The chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And to say that pastors don't lead is frankly pathetic because in the Eastern culture, the shepherd doesn't come behind the sheep as we would see in our fields. It goes in front of the sheep. If you are a shepherd, you are automatically bringing a lead to somebody else. And sheep need a shepherd God has given under shepherds to the church. But let me just say, friends, every one of you can bring a shepherd in heart to somebody. In your work environment, in your home, down your street, the people that are in your world, you can bring a sense of direction to their lives. And when we do that, instead of being sheep that are helpless and harassed, sheep become secure. Insecurity is a plague of modern society. You now got kids, young women, spending hours, multiple shots to get the perfect picture on Instagram because they want to be like that woman that was in the magazine, you know. Well, what they don't tell you is that all her wrinkles have been professionally sort of, you know, moved out before she has the photograph taken. The insecurity of comparison. But when we're in the fold, following the Lord, security, sustenance, food, Somewhere to feed and stability in an unstable world. Number two, we're not only sheep that need direction, but we're stones that need connection. 1 Peter 2.5, you also like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Ephesians 2.21, in him, Jesus, we are a whole building joined together. One of the pictures of the church in the scriptures is a building. Not a physical building. We've understood the, the security of a physical building has been stripped away from the church during the pandemic. What is the church? It's the gathered people, be by Zoom, be by the internet, be by telephone. But those people are the living stones that need to find connection. Imagine that you've got a new build house. And you're saying, Phil, we'd love you to come and see our house. Oh, great, new build. Yeah, new build. Oh, I won't go there. I'm just going to go on one with my daughter trying to sell her house. But anyway, but, 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 but new build, new build. And when I arrive, say, there it is. And it's a pile of bricks. Well, I not look much. But that's what happens at times. The house needs a foundation. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. The Bible needs a cornerstone the stone or the brick that everything else aligns to, to make sure it's square. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. When we align with him, everything else falls into place. And the Bible tells us that, we, that 
to, or rather when we look at a building, we need connection. In other words, that pile of bricks has got to be put in place by a skilled bricklayer, mortaring the bricks together, everyone finding a connection and every brick playing its part. I mean, you imagine in winter, you say, well, I'm just one of them bricks on the bottom. It's just above the surface. I don't, nobody sees me. And all of a sudden that brick comes out and you sat in your chair watching the telly in the winter and the draft's blowing up. You know, all of a sudden you realise that brick is so vital. And I tell you, the lie of the enemy is to say to people in the church, you're not important. You've got no place to part. But when you find connection, you're vital to the building of the house in which God dwells by his spirit. It may be that you've messed up in the past. It may be that you've got a tasty past. It may be that the little accusing voice says you cannot be anything. But when you find connection with others, you can be part of what God wants to indwell. And briefly on connection, we're encouraging people in this next season as part of the vision to find a small group context. I want to say thank you for your patience. We've had to hold one or two of those back. But even in Arena Ilkeston, in the next few weeks, we're looking at at least two other groups to come online uh, that people will lead, that will be helpful to numbers of people in this church to connect to. And I'll, we'll seek to communicate that well. But the big finding the small so that you can enjoy connection and be part of the spiritual house. Briefly, number three, people are stones and they need affirmation. Well, I could camp here because the reality is, friends, in the last 50 years across the earth, a fatherless generation that has emerged has wreaked havoc in society. I don't have time to develop that. Simply, I've got a great passion for dads. And uh, I am one, a flawed dad, an imperfect dad. Um, but I've got a great passion for fathers to make a difference in this day. Did you know that, that there's, there's a, a spirit abroad that wants to eradicate fatherhood in society as well as eradicate manhood. And guys, in the right sense of the way, way, with godliness, with integrity, it's time to rise up and take the ground again to be the men that God has called us to be. And the greatest father of all is God. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. When we have Father's Day, we often have some fun and some laughs and a message. But in my internal world, there's lots of things going around because I can feel the pain around the room as well. Dads that feel they've messed up, people that have been brought up with a fatherly, earthly figure and then compare it to God and think if God's like that, no thanks. But you're a son this morning. I use that in the generic term that draws men and women in. You're a son of the father this morning. And he says, will you run again to my wide-armed embrace? And let me affirm you for who you are. Those led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And number four, we're not only sheep that need direction. We're not only stones that need connection. We're not only sons that need affirmation, but we're soldiers that need commission. In 2 Timothy 2.3, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then what we know as the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go 
those of you from an armed armed forces background will know that there are commissioned officers and non-commissioned officers. The commissioned officers are basically the gaffers, the managers, the officers. And then the non-commissioned officers carrying out the orders. But in the kingdom of God, we're all commissioned. We're all commissioned in the kingdom of God. Every one of us. You may say, well, you'd never find me on a platform. You'd never get me speaking. You'd never get me taking a public profile. I get all of that. But in God, you are so special to him that he has commissioned you to take the gospel into all the world. Knowing God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose, and as a commissioned soldier of Jesus Christ, making a difference. Yes, it's a battle on occasions and not always easy. But in Christ, as we've heard from Romans 8 this morning, we have the promise of the overcoming life to be a world changer. My last slide as we close. I've tried to get all the zeros in the right correction. And those of you that are good at maths, if I've got it wrong, be kind with me afterwards, please. People. This is the vision. People. People are always on our mind. Why? Because the latest figures for the population of the United Kingdom, which is still, thank God, England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, is 67.1 million people. 67.1 million people. Many cultures represented in that, many language groups, many expressions of people movement, particularly in the last 20 years, but the population of our nation. And most of them still need Jesus Christ. And then the latest figure on the population of the world, 7.8 billion people. Experts tell us that by the uh, year 2050, there'll be 10 billion people in the earth. Now we thank God for the church in the earth and when I pray on a Sunday, I thank God for the South Sea Islands. They've been up when we were still in bed. They've praised the Lord. They've set the scene right across Australasia, through Asia, through the east-west access of Turkey, Eastern Europe and the Americas will pick it up later. An incredible thread of praise and worship across the earth. Many millions that love Jesus Christ but there's still more to be won. Why hasn't Jesus come back to the earth yet? Don't get up a spiritual cul-de-sac on the website about is it this sign is it that sign is it this is it that what does Daniel 9 mean don't go there you know the major reason that Jesus hasn't come yet because he's patient he's patient are you glad that he was patient with you he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to a place of changing their hearts and their minds And as we seek to express the vision over the next weeks, as we talk about stewardship and as we talk about even a response to an offering, don't go to a place that God doesn't want you to go. It's all about people. If one of those five things is paining you at the moment and there's a bit of a pushback to people, let the Holy Spirit just heal you afresh. I've had some of the greatest joys in life ministering to people and also some of the greatest pain. It's people. It's church. And church today are sheep that need direction. They're stones that need correction. They're sons that need affirmation. 
and their soldiers that need to find their divine commission to make a difference. Let's pray.